Welcome into the fan pregame, Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan, Eilish Forfar, Justin Cuthbert here tonight ahead of a big one, Ottawa and Toronto, 7 p.m. Puck drop. That will be on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan, of course, the Battle of Ontario. We're hoping gets reignited, but it might have been reignited in the tabloids the last couple of days. Uh, Brady Kachuk uh, kind of calling out the Ottawa fan base, uh, booing and some fire DJ Smith chants helped with that. Uh, after their loss to the Canucks on Saturday night. But the team is in a bit of an interesting spot tonight coming into Scotiabank Arena where they're playing for themselves, but they might be playing for their protection of their coach. Yeah, there's a couple ways where like the coach infiltrates the narrative of the game. And then sometimes, and most usually it's like, okay, they're on the hot seat. They're mm-hmm. close to being fired. And if this team just doesn't show up tonight, maybe, and maybe it's their wish, but maybe that coach coaches in their last game for that team. But rarely do we see... The, the situation where the team has to step up and justify their defense of their head coach. And that's exactly what we've seen from the Ottawa Senators over the last news cycle and since they lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning over the weekend. Brady Kachuk going after the fan base, Claude Giroux backing him and saying, you know what, DJ Smith's not going anywhere. So that may be true, but it puts a little bit more of a spotlight on you and your team. And if things still don't go well... It's just going to get louder on the outside and, I guess, more frustrating for Brady Kachuk. And I don't know this, if this is commonplace or not, but the Ottawa Senators elected to not come to the rink today ahead of uh, the skate or at all. Uh, they stayed at their hotel for their media availability. Uh, I'm, sure that was I'm, on, I'm sure that was on purpose. I mean, as someone who used to go down to Scotiabank Arena and wait for visiting teams because... What if they said, no, they're actually at the Radisson? Like, did you have to reroute? Well, no. You, they, they would probably just be like the Ottawa media would know and you'd be oh. stuck just like, oh, it's same old Leafs and you'd be Sneaky. into the Sheldon Keefe uh, press conference. But that would be it. But it's a big opportunity is what I'm saying for a lot of spotlight, a lot of media spotlight when a visiting team comes through Toronto and Ottawa, I guess, turned down that opportunity because there is a lot of noise going on right now in terms of the 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 the, the adjacent story rather than what's going on on the ice. And what's going on the ice hasn't been all that pretty either. Okay, so the second half hour of our show will tee up Ottawa and Toronto more in depth. So before that, let's bring in Frank Saravelli of DailyFaceOff.com. Um, Frank, you're not wearing your costume today. What what is this? This is regular clothes. <laughs> I can't hear Frank. I can't hear Frank either. Just making sure we all can't hear Frank. That's because Frank's an idiot and muted himself. Oh, oh there we go. It's like okay. day one of the pandemic. No one knows how to use Zoom. <laughs> oh, Frank. Yeah, I know. Is this your first day? Congratulations. <laughs> Uh, well, you look great whether you're in a uh, slap shot costume or not. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna let you kind of take the the ball. We're gonna give you. We're gonna lay it up to you, and you can do whatever you'd like to do. Uh, the team closest to a breaking point. The Oilers, the Senators, or the Flames. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure Goosebumps uh, novel. Go ahead. Um, I'm going to say the Oilers. And I think the reason for that is, one, the expectations for this team was they were way higher than the other two that you mentioned. Like their players publicly acknowledged the Summer Cup or bust. And the other part of it is, look who they have on their schedule. Look at the race that they're trying to dig their way back into. I mean, you lose to the sharks on Thursday and you're tied with a team that was flirting with the record for winless start to a season. Like that's how bad we're talking. The Oilers have been results wise, maybe not eye test wise, but when you get this close to the quarter mark of the season and you're inching your way there, 
you run out of like the moral victories. Hey, we're turning a corner kind of thing. And it becomes purely about math. Uh, definitely interested to see how Ottawa responds because they back their head coach. And I'm interested in the same sort of way how Edmonton responds because it's San Jose. And if you wanted to lay an egg for whatever reason, because you might not want to play for a coach anymore, well, that would be the biggest egg possible. But aside from Jay Woodcroft and aside from what the Oilers are doing on the ice, well, they got some cap savings now, albeit very, very minuscule cap savings with Jack Campbell going down to the minors. So do you get the sense that Kenny Holland is working on anything that he might try to make something happen in order to do his job and hoping that the players and Jay Woodcroft can do theirs? Yeah, I think they're keeping tabs on just about everything. And the best way to explain the situation with the Oilers is that I think everything's on the table. They've got their sort of emergency checklist and they hit the first box on that by doing the easiest thing possible, which is waving Jack Campbell and sending him to the minors where they hope he can find his game. They hope that that sends a lightning bolt through the rest of the room because you guys got to see Jack Campbell up close and personal. He's a really popular teammate on just about every team that he's on. And they're all now feeling a little bit of guilt and shame these last 48 hours of, Hey, we haven't gotten the job done. And by the way, in parentheses, the scary part that no one's really talked about with the Oilers having the 32nd place goaltending tandem in the league is Jack Campbell's actually been statistically better than Stuart Skinner so far this season, but you can't wave Stuart Skinner because you know that teams are going to claim him based on the rookie season that he had and his age. No one is claiming Jack Campbell. He's the sacrificial lamb at this point, not to say he was much better, but they've got to find a way to make a small improvement. And I think Ken Holland woke up knowing this week that he had to do something, couldn't sit idle any longer. And what that does is then, lets you see how this next couple games go. And I don't want to say that it's this road trip is make or break for Jay Woodcroft. I think whenever you work yourself into a situation, much like the conversation you guys were having with DJ Smith and the Sens, that you feel like one more game either direction is going to determine the fate of your coach. Well, I think you've already made up your mind at that point, but it's one more observation point that the Oilers can say, Hey, look, we're getting this much closer now and potentially losing to the Sharks or the Kraken two teams that you're looking up at in the standings makes the math that much more daunting. It puts yourself in a position where you might have to take the next drastic measure on your checklist. Let's move to a team a few hours south of Edmonton, the Calgary Flames. Last night, obviously the big headline, Jonathan Huberto didn't touch the ice for the entire third period. Sounds like my professional hockey career. Um, what what can be done about the situation? Uh, a guy on a big contract isn't getting opportunity to play, but isn't doing much when he does play. How does Calgary work themselves out of this? It's a great question, and it's really what they're left with facing today because this was the story. This was the headline around the league. Any show you do, any market you pop into, everyone's asking, how do they fix Jonathan Huberto? And that's really what I'm left with is, yeah, it was, you know, a courageous move. I think for Ryan Huska to take a step back and say, you know what, we're going to put you here on the bench for the third period. You've got your team finally kind of feeling good about itself as it's, you know, charging toward a second straight win. Nazem Kadri, four game point streak. And you've got a guy in Jonathan Huberto who not only hasn't produced, but doesn't really look like himself. You see the body language that he had on the bench, not good. But 
when you step back today and you pick up the pieces and you try and put them all back together again, the big thing you're left with is we are, I don't know, 40 days into an eight-year deal that pays him $84 million. We need to work together to find out how we can put this thing back on the rails. And I don't think it's a chemistry thing. Like they've tried him with different line mates. They've tried him in different situations. I don't think you can take a step back further and say, we're going to sit this guy as a healthy scratch. I don't know if you play him till the wheels fall off, play him 24 minutes, 26 minutes. I don't know what the answer is, but this being so early in this, um, you know, contract and having a year of evidence to suggest that this isn't working the way that it's been, you've got to try and get creative to work together. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, I guess he's earned a million dollars out of the 84 million so far because we're a month into the season, but we are only fractionally into that contract. I mean, it's at risk of being the biggest boat anchor in the league, maybe the league's history, uh, if we're being so- honest. So we're cringing, Justin. Like, how do you think Jonathan Huberto is feeling today? Yeah. I mean, not good. But he I mean, look in the mirror. That this he's, is he's he's played a lot of games for the Calgary Flames, and it just hasn't worked. I mean, uh, uh, clearly, this is mostly on his shoulders. I don't think it was a great idea signing that contract in the first place. Uh, but I'm just not sure what's going to change. And if you look around the league, I mean, nobody is taking on the Jonathan Huberto contract as it stands maybe you can cut it in half go back to florida i'm not really sure i just can't see a solution right now and i just can't really see it in calgary either there is none that's that's what i'm saying externally there isn't no one's taking the contract even at half the evidence isn't there to suggest that he could get at this moment in time back to a level that is commensurate to that why would you want the term like there's a million reasons why it can't work elsewhere you have to look within and you have to try and find something to make it work because you're stuck. You're married and there's no way out. Okay, let's go to the Ottawa Senators. We got Frank Cervelli on the line of daily face-off. Brady Kachuk and Claude Giroux and others don't think DJ Smith is going anywhere and they've used their platform to vocalize that. But are they right? Like if Ottawa continues to struggle here, are they right backing DJ Smith the the way they are? Personally, I think the answer to that is no. And I, I'm i all for players vocally backing their coach because we don't see it enough. Too often, it's the coach that's out there. And, and frankly, with way less tenure than DJ Smith has had, this is a win-now league. You get two and a half years and you are out on your bum if you can't find a way to find success and results at the NHL level as a head coach. This is year five for DJ Smith. If I'm not mistaken, he's coached, is it 301 or 302 games behind a Sens bench? You know, only one man in franchise history, Jacques Martin, has coached more Sens games than DJ Smith. And to me, I know that the beginning part of that, and it's so cliche for a team to come in, particularly one with a new owner and new um, president of hockey ops in Steve Steos, to say, well, they want their own guy. And then there's this whole other part of it, which is, you know, it really stinks to throw the rebuild guy out once he finally gets a roster that's pretty good. And you saw the success that Jared Bednar had in Colorado after one of the worst seasons in league history to then all these years later win a Stanley Cup. And there's something to be said about sticking with a guy through that. And all of that, you can applaud it. The players, the faith from from and backing from management and ownership, all that's great. But you know what? To me, 
um, when you've got a run of that tenure and, and it's not necessarily a knock on the work that DJ Smith has put in or anything like that, it comes down to tangible results. Mm. And when you're carrying up the rear of your division, you're not getting them. And when you've got these young players that have made dents and have done it in flashes and everyone kind of universally collectively believes that this Sens team can be better than what it's shown, you need to see it. It's it's no more about talking and projecting. It's about getting the results. And it, right now it can't even be about injuries. Like I know that they've piled up for the Sens, but the Florida Panthers are playing without their top two defensemen. I didn't hear the Tampa Bay lightning come through Toronto in the last week and say, Oh, you know, it's really a shame. We don't have Andre Vasilevsky. Like they've found a way. And so that's what happens in this league if you don't get results. And so uh, personally, like I, I think I'm at the point watching the Sens team where it's like, how many times can you see the same thing before you want something different? What do you make of the and our variable here? Because uh, he did not hesitate to cut Pierre Dorian down at the knees. Uh, it feels like a guy who's maybe more emotional than initially advertised. Like, is that kind of the thing that makes DJ Smith most susceptible? Because before it was just like, hey, Dor- Dorian's happy. They're seeing this through. They believe in DJ Smith. Does Ann Lauer change things pretty drastically here for DJ Smith? You think in a potentially positive way? No, I think in a negative way. Okay, yeah, I mean, I would tend to lean more towards that. But I do think that there's a perception that Michael Anlauer and Steve Steos want to give DJ Smith and previously Pierre Dorian a long run to at least show what they've got. And I think that's admirable. But I think you could even take a step back before the Shane Pinto lack of contract and cap space and the suspension and also the forfeiture of the draft pick to say that there was enough dysfunction in the Sens front office to warrant a change sort of on the first moment that um, Michael Ann Lauer took over. And you could say that after four full seasons of DJ Smith, that, hey, this team needs a fresh start, can't afford a bad start to the season after they buried themselves last year and the year before, that they need to get more right out of the gate. And yet there's been a loyalty factor where they kind of stuck with these guys they had in place, you know, 6-12-1 last year. That's what sunk the Sens was their start. They played pretty good down the stretch and after that, but it was too late. Talking to Frank Sarvelli of dailyfaceoff.com. Okay, so on the other side of the ice tonight, obviously the Toronto Maple Leafs hosting the Ottawa Senators in that Battle of Alberta. On the on the outside looking in, obviously we talk about this team on a very granular level. What what are you guys looking at? What are you talking about when it comes to the Toronto Maple Leafs this week? Well, it's never a shortage of anything. There's always like some raging question, some dramatic you know, what What happens here is Sheldon Keefe on the hot seat. There was a little bit of that talk. There was, you know, the couple of weeks before that, it was like, why aren't Matthews and Marner producing as the exact question is being asked while they're riding individually three-game point streaks? There's always something. And I think for me, um, I do think there was a lot of validity in the question and the argument of this team showing some bite And I I hate how that's thrown around because it's not just about dropping your gloves. Um, I think the key part, and you've heard Brendan Shanahan talk about this, you know, going back, it's like two exit meetings ago now. That's how long this has been a topic of killer instinct. 
And it's not the killer part that you really have to drive home. And I don't even think you need to have a meeting to drive it home. The key point is instinct. It needs to be just that, instinctual. And this Leaf team at least has shown repeatedly to me and to others that they don't have it. And so if you need to be talked or coaxed into it, um, that to me is is too much. Like it, you've got to have some of that innate part in you. Can a team win without it? Yeah, I'm sure there are examples somewhere where some team broke through and did it. But I think you want to see more of that. And so for me, it's an eye test thing. I don't really care about you know, the numbers, the standings, the Leafs are afloat. They're going to continue to be afloat. I don't see them, you know, getting dragged to the bottom. It's it's really about eye test and it's not, you know, care or concern or compete because I do think they work hard. It's are you going to be a killer and are you going to, you know, sort of, you know, go at your opponent's throat when necessary, especially when one's standing right in front of you and beaking your entire bench. Yep, another chance. No Brad Marchand on the other side, but another chance to pull some eye test data as it pertains to instinct tonight. Battle of Ontario, Ottawa, and Toronto on Sportsnet. Last one for you here, Frank. Vancouver Canucks continue to be the story in a positive way uh, in Canada. We always talk every time William Nylander does anything, and he's on this really impressive point streak right now. Oh, he's making more money every single time he hits the ice. The same's got to apply to Elias Patterson right now, who may be in a down season for the Oilers, the front runner for the Hart Trophy right now, or at least in that conversation. Has he just had a similar bet that might pay off even more than William Nylander? I know he's an RFA, and there's still some other things that you have to check off here, but he's been a little reluctant. He wanted to take some, some time and be patient with everything. Has he played this beautifully because he's playing so well right now in a contract season? I think he has. I I think if you're the Canucks, every time he hits the back of the net, every time he lifts your team to uh, another win, all you hear in the back of your head is the cash register ringing. (laughs) It's cha-ching. I mean, this guy is, you know, I think he's not only squarely in the Hart Trophy conversation, but right now is the front runner. And more than that, you know, you're looking at, you know, sort of like you're vaulting yourself from a double digit AAV guy into like the McKinnon territory, I think, in terms of what that next contract looks like. Um, it's probably at a different level than Nylander, um, you know, position wise, that's a huge factor, of course. But it's it's really impressive, not just what Pedersen has done after a great year last year, I think. You know, the Canucks were certainly ready and willing, I think, to pay him. But he sort of viewed himself as this next tier of player that's really hard to get to. And to to take that next step is maybe the hardest step of all um, in terms of that player pantheon and how we think of guys. And he's doing it right now. I think he's got the goods to do it over a full season and compete at that level. And that's you know, an issue for the Canucks in that they're going to have to pay, but it's also kind of a good problem to have in that, you know, that he's solved for and and answered the equation. And more than that, you know, that if you play your cards right and your team continues to progress around him, like they have and the structure that they've shown under Rick Tockett, that you've got one of the few, you know, super elite players in the league. 
Well, uh, you're welcome on behalf of all of Canada for providing all the NHL storylines for the last week. Uh, all Canadian teams are in the headlines every single day, and it's not going to stop. Battle of Alberta tonight. We've got the Calgary Flames Friday, Vancouver Canucks Saturday. I'm sure by next week uh, we'll have way more Canadian content to go through with you, and you'll get that mute button working, Frank. We'll chat next yeah, week. Yeah, I mean, one of these days I'll figure it out, yeah. guys. <laughs> uh, thanks, Frank. We'll chat with you soon. See you guys. That's Frank Saravelli of dailyfaceoff.com. Um, yeah, tonight is a big one. Battle of, of Canada. Battle of Ontario. More like Canadian it. teams are just All of always Canada, battling, yes. Always together. Battle of Ontario, something that we've wanted to see reignited. Uh, Brady Kachuk did his best to, to keep the press excited about tonight. Uh, mm-hmm. DJ Smith's job. Whether it's in jeopardy or not, the seat is hot. It's one of the hottest seats in the NHL for sure. So lots to look forward to. Uh, we got another half hour to tee that up um, after the break. The game will be on 7 p.m. here on Sportsnet. Sportsnet 590, the fan, of course. But the Raptors are also playing tonight. Mm-hmm. We wanted to get a tiny little Raptors discussion in, which will help us get into our Bet Rivers segment as well. Um, Dennis Schroeder was on the wonderful Raptor show. He's like a daily or weekly appearance now. Good he get. Was, he was doing the show on his phone in the bus. It was really cool. That's but a first. I think, yeah, we need to get Frank, you know, commuting somewhere on his phone. But he had a great little tidbit about Scotty Barnes um, in a timeout at the Spurs game. Um, we'll play the clip now, but it, it might help just to show the confidence that Scotty Barnes has been showing throughout the seven-game start. At uh, the timeout, uh, coach was like, <laughs> drew up a play, and he was like, yeah, but I can just step back through it, you know. And uh, <laughs> No, wait, hold on, what? Because he, he, he wanted him to go to the to the paint, and he was like, but I can just step back through that one. And was laughing kind of. He said it to me, and uh, the next play, he really did it and tied the game. Okay, so Scotty Barnes saying, "No, no, I'll just step he's back." Calling his own place. I'll do this with high degree of difficulty. And he's taken on a, a whole new level of confidence to start this season. Of course, showing so uh, his November and his October were pretty incredible so far. Uh, he's been the bright star of this Toronto Raptors season, and I, I think Darko Ryakovich deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I, I think Scotty Barnes deserves a lot of credit for it too. And, and I think, uh, you know, I, w- my sense on the Raptors is that they've been just desperate for clarity for the last, I don't know, 12, 18 months, maybe even longer than that, dating back to the remnants of the championship. And I think these seven games from Scotty Barnes has given them more clarity than they've had over that entire time period. It's Scotty Barnes. It's Scotty Barnes' team. What can we do to help Scotty Barnes and I think, I guess, Scotty Barnes can do a lot to help himself by calling his own plays. But I just feel like this has been what they've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Just what the sense is, who they are. And right now, the Toronto Raptors are a team built around Scotty Barnes. And I think that's a really positive thing moving forward because they can actually make the decisions in the direction that they choose around the young star. Okay, so um, for my Bet Rivers segment, and this is Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. I'm going to go with the Toronto team that we'll be covering tonight. The Toronto Maple Leafs in the Battle of Ontario. I'm going to take Leafs to win in regulation and the over six and a half. You parlay that together on Bet Rivers, and it is plus 230. Okay, I'm going back to Victor Wembayama. The San Antonio Spurs <laughs> are in New York. They're playing at Madison Square Garden against the Knicks tonight. And what happens when superstars or future superstars go to Madison Square Garden for the first time? What happens when star players play in New York? Will they go off? So I am choosing to believe that Victor Wembayama is going to have his best or at least (laughs) his second best game of his young career tonight. And 
the way I want to attack this is just top score. Victor Wembayama, top score in the game, plus 500. Uh, right now, he is the highest scoring player for San Antonio on average, just by a bit. But the guys he would be competing with, I think, would be on the Knicks. And the Knicks don't ha- really have anyone who is averaging a ridiculous amount. So he's really just has, has to have a plus game. He just has to beat out Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle in terms of total points. And if he gets going, if he gets cooking, and the crowd actually kind of gets behind him just a little bit because they want to see Wemby in New York, I think this could snowball in a really positive way, and he can be the top scorer in tonight's game at MSG plus 500. Victor Wembayama. His comments on his first appearance at MSG, quote, it's not as big as I expected. Victor? When you're 12 feet tall. I need you. I I need the opposite tonight. (laughs) Okay, well, that was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590 The Fan to to tee up tonight's game, Maple Leafs and Ottawa Senators. 